Oh, hey, girl. It's Tess Rouse and Christina Beattie. We're the co-hosts and creators of Authentically Wild. A podcast that may literally transform your understanding about life, relationships, and your healing journey. So get ready, girl. Shit's about to get wild. All relationships have conflict. And if yours is absent of that, you should probably listen to this episode. Conflict can actually deepen your partnership if it's conducted in a healthy way. It can entice open and honest conversation, which leads to a deeper connection between a couple. Remember, relationships are our greatest containers for growth as they mirror our triggers and shadow aspects. So it's natural to brush up against someone you are literally building a life with and having to make decisions with on all facets of life. In today's episode, we're diving into the roadmap around healthy conflict resolution with you and your partner. Whether you're in a long-term relationship or you just want to evolve your skill set around in preparation for a relationship you're calling in, listen up. This will be one you do not want to miss. Hey, 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 hey. Sing it, girl. <laughs> Hello. I like that. You were doing a little hand thing while I was doing that. <sighs> conflict. Conflict. Maybe before conflict, maybe if we're getting into conflict, we should have a celebration of um our retreat that we just hosted. I feel like we need oh. to give our listeners an update. Like so, so, so good. Agreed. Dre, Dre, if you are listening to this, we love you, sister. Like just such a beautiful. I mean, I'm just even sitting feeling into that energy again, the women us all being able to sit in a circle and open and support one another and just even the way the modalities flowed in terms of the tapping and the breath work and the one-to-one channel guidance like I think we had an idea that Mm -hmm. it was going to go well but I didn't actually expect it to just be so seamless yeah that was magical (laughs) And I think we're going to have Dre on the podcast in a future episode as long as she'll have us. So (laughs) you guys can all meet her, all of our listeners. But for those uh, who are listening who are like, what are you guys talking about? The three of us um, came together this year and Christine and I had started this, this thing called Conversations with Her, which was really bringing together, especially women around these various healing modalities, helping people who are on their healing path, really tap into some somatic practices. And then we met Dre and we just knew she had to be a part of this and she brings with her EFT tapping as well as Reiki energy healing. And so we've done two now and our last one was like a full day retreat that was fully catered at this beautiful location in the lower mainland. And it was sort of beyond, I think, what we could expect. The transformation that some of those participants had was just like mind blowing. And I know for me during the breath work, that was probably like the most emotional experience Mm. I've ever had. Like you could just really feel how open and vulnerable and moving it was for for all of them. So for anyone listening, there's gonna be lots of content pushed out about that, but we're definitely planning um, our next one sometime, maybe for August or even the fall. So definitely stay tuned. Yeah, I'm excited to keep doing this because it's just so, I mean, it really takes what we're doing here in these podcasts to a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And this in-person stuff, I think, is so necessary because there's just a whole other level of connection that you feel when you can be in person with other people doing this healing work and being able to be supported in person. Like, it's just... Mm -hmm. It's the best. 
Yeah. And I mean, it was also a lot of laughs too. Like there were some bombs oh, yeah. dropped. It was great. Yeah. It was so good. <laughs> yes. So keep your eyes and ears. What's, why do they even have that saying? Keep your eyes and ears peeled. Like, what is that even? Do you ever okay, wonder so you where hear these... something or see something like on a billboard or on the yeah, radio? Yeah, but like peeled, like open, like I don't really under, like a, like I think of an orange peel and that feels weird to me. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I don't know. I wonder, Aren't you, you like the English major? <laughs> yeah, but these are like old sayings. Sometimes I wonder where these come from. Anyways, yes, some of them are not politically correct anymore. So definitely no, filter. <laughs> yeah. So just keep your eyes out. Well, that's weird too. Watch out for any future <laughs> uh, announcements because we will continue to host these. But on to the topic for today because I mean I just love how these pieces come about for us as well like we plan in advance an idea of what we want to talk about like Tess and I sat down I guess it would be like about a month ago and we kind of really planned out different episode topics and what we want and so it's just so funny how now this week we come across this topic of conflict in relationship and oof, do I have some personal examples to use <laughs> <laughs> Which always seems to be the case. So timely, right? Divine timing. Divine timing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm excited to dive in and, um, you know, to give you guys an idea of what we're going to talk about today, we're going to look at, well, we're going to start with why conflict is, you know, not just necessary in a relationship, but it can also be a good thing. We're going to look at the different attachment styles. So if you don't know much about attachment styles, we'll give you a bit of a rundown on that and help you get an idea of where you sit with that. We're going to look at, you know, helping you figure out how you fight, how you deal with conflict and the patterns you might have while also providing some personal examples. Mm -hmm. And then we're hoping to provide you with a bit of a roadmap to healthy conflict resolution through mm -hmm. all of this. Mm -hmm. the, recipe. Yeah. So the recipe buckle up buckle yeah. up yes yeah uh, well maybe we'll dive right in then I can kick us off just with a bit of an overview of why conflict is good for your relationship or your partnership when it is done in a healthy and respectful way and that is the caveat here so if you're like yeah my partner and I fight all the time we're, we're smooth mm -hmm. sailing not necessarily and I'll say that in a very humbled way because I definitely um, was not great at conflict resolution, I think from just never witnessing it in a, in a healthy way necessarily. Uh, but, you know, I think there's always room for growth and, and improvement. And if you're not actively wanting to improve the way that you're arguing, that's probably the first place you need to start, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because ultimately you have to want to change. You have to want to make that better with you and your partner. If you're going into it just to win, you're probably not ready for this conversation. Mm -hmm. And I mean that wholeheartedly. <laughs> and we'll get into that self-responsibility, self-reflection piece later on in the episode. But, you know, relationships without conflict are also where I'd like to start because a lot of people say, and I've, I even remember in a past relationship saying that like, oh, we never fight. Things are great, right? Like mm -hmm. that means that means we're, a, we're in a good partnership. That means we're meant for each other. We never argue, we never fight, we never have disagreements. 
Research shows that the couples who actually do not have any conflict are typically the ones who actually do end up in divorce. Um, and that can be for multiple of reasons. Maybe just right away, they were never, you know, compatible with each other. Um, but also because typically when you're at that place where you're not fighting for the things that you want or for your relationship, and there isn't that disagreement uh, occurring, that's because you're very indifferent towards your relationship. So in other words, it means the flame has gone out or the, the switch has flipped where you don't care enough to actually continue fighting for it. Um, you know, and, and anger and, and conflict absolutely can cause short-term discomfort, but it can also at the same time incite honest conversations that actually create deep connection if you allow them. And so that's the point that I'm trying to make here about conflict actually being good for your relationship. It's not that, oh, we want to be fighting all the time. It's can we have respectful, honest dialogue where there is some conflict where we're brushing up on each other that actually can create this really big opening with, with between two people to then allow for open, really deep connection and conversation. And I do find, you know, and we'll get to that later, it's that last piece that's really important. That's kind of like reaping the reward of the conflict is when you can come together and feel even closer to them than than you did pre previous to the to the conflict that you were having. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and listening to you talk about this for some reason, well, not for some reason, I know why it's got me reflecting on growing up, I never saw my parents argue or have a disagreement like I can remember one and it was probably right before their separation mm. and you know it's got me thinking about this piece how sometimes people will be like oh well I grew up in a home where there was no fighting or there was no you know but but that can actually have just as much of an impact on us as growing up in a household where there is fighting although the energy is different I mean, I would be willing to bet there's still energy there when a couple is not Absolutely. fighting, right? It's like that, that, that resent, right? But then it's also not teaching children how to resolve anything if mm -hmm. nothing is ever being resolved in front of them or being worked on. Yes. I mean, it's so funny you say that because I've noticed lately in Thea, our, our oldest, her and I will get into little bickering things because, you know, she's becoming her own little woman and her and I, like we can trigger each other sometimes, but it's so interesting because she now sometimes will come be like, I'm really sorry for talking to you that way. Like, or I'm like, she will come and, and show the repair or the resolve. Typically I will regardless, but it's interesting that now she is doing it on her own. And that's because Tori and I have made a really concerted effort to ensure like if we fight in front of them, which is never like yelling or screaming, it's, you know, disagreements, we always show the repair in front of them too, which is like, I'm really sorry of talking to you that way. Like we're not, we don't take it into another room because that's important for them to see because if they grow up thinking, oh, fights don't happen. Well, when one actually happens with them, whether that's in maybe their first relationship or with a friend, 
it's it's so hard for them to understand that that's okay and that's a normal part of the relationship i had to spend quite a long time like last year really explaining to thea like mommy and daddy love each other when we disagree it's okay because we're going to come back together and we're going to solve it that's how that's how adults do that conflict is okay and it's sort of taboo i think in our society to to talk about that or to do it in front of your children um etc yeah yeah and and i think that that's such a big piece to say there which is that repair piece um and it makes me even think of like my own parenting where you know and this is something i learned a while ago from our behavior specialists that we worked with when i was learning how to better support max or even just be a better parent in general and she always said shout out to julie repair repair is the most important part and really that is what this is about like we're human we're going to have these days whether it's with our partner or with our kids it's in those moments of repair that that's actually where they learn the important stuff Mm -hmm. you know um yeah so it's just it's so interesting to just be reflecting on this and I've talked to so many people who say well I grew up in a childhood that was like this or like that and it's like well it's actually sometimes the things that aren't said but are rather felt on a deeper level that aren't talked about, that aren't processed, that aren't, you know, where that meaning is not created for us, that those have more of an impact. Oh, energy is energy. And as someone who can really tune into people's energy, like you don't need to speak around me. I can tell by your, you know, like your, your tension in your face, just the energy that's coming off of you, like how you're feeling. And Mm. kids are, kids are so open to that. Right. So even if you're silent as parents, but you're seething resentment and you can feel the tension in the room, like no one listening to this can tell me they haven't ever been in a situation where they can tell two people don't like each other and there are no words exchanged and Mm. they can't feel it. You can feel that that has an impact on your nervous system, regardless of the word. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it makes me even think of like with Max, there'll be a lot of times where I think in the past I would have just held something in and tried to just like grit and bear through it because I'm the mom and I'm the parent and they can't Mm -hmm. see me upset or any of that where he's still picking up on that energy. But now when something is going on for me, I'll flat out say, Hey, like mommy's moving through something right now, but I'm okay. Like I've got this, even though mommy feel, even though mommy might you know, have a tear or be upset about this piece, like this isn't to do with you. And I'm okay. And I've got this. And, and I think it's so important, because they're going to feel it no matter what, to help them create that meaning to me is like so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and putting labels to how you're feeling, which is such a process for kids, right? In terms of conflict and partnership, I think this is just a key nugget, maybe we'll touch on more later as well actually labeling how you're feeling as opposed to assuming your partner is a mind reader is also key. We do it with children. Mm. Like we understand, of course, they don't know that I've had a bad day at work. It's like, well, maybe your partner doesn't either. Right. Mm. And so being like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm being short right now. I'm just really stressed. It's been a really long day. This is what happened that just create that built in sort of support and empathy for you. And so if we're doing it with our kids, maybe it it also bodes well in partnership as well. Like communicate, don't be afraid to say what's going on for you so that someone can really understand. Mm, Yeah, I love Mm. that. So, you know, just to kind of like touch back on this piece, conflict, it's important. I mean, for sure, for me, I notice that like when I do tap into when there is conflict going on and I try to handle it in a healthy way in relationship, for sure, I always notice a change in 
the intimacy that I feel. Like I'm mm. even thinking about the relationship that I'm building now with Colin, my boyfriend. <laughs> I was wondering when we're going to label that. <laughs> I know. I don't think I've actually said that on the pod. So everybody. I have PSA, a Christina is in a relationship, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like I notice that when I do consciously move towards that conflict and try to really work through it in a constructive way rather rather than destructive which is also what happens sometimes but there mm-hmm. there's always an a deeper intimacy that that we're able to kind of like feel through that process so mm-hmm. that's a big piece for me yeah and i think again just back to the how we opened this first segment which is you have to want to engage in healthy conflict, your mindset shift around getting curious. Why is this coming mm-hmm. up for us? If you if you go into every conflict or like when a conflict arises, if you can shift your mindset to, we're gonna get through this together and this is gonna make us better or this is gonna deepen our connection or deeper deepen our understanding about each other's needs. How can I progress us as a couple, us as a partnership forward in this? How can I get curious about why this is coming up? you will have like miraculously different results than someone who's going in like screw you i'm right how dare you do this to me like it's a very different energy right and so Mm. again like really take a moment to like think like okay this is my partner this is my best friend this is my person yeah we're disagreeing right now but how can we come together and find resolve Mm -hmm. right yeah and i think and touching on that i think an important place to start which we're going to dig into here is understanding attachment styles because you I mean learning about attachment styles for me was a game changer uh it continues to be a learning process because you know we all show up in certain ways in relationships whether it's romantic platonic whatever it is you show up in a certain way in relationship and this is based on the primary or the relationship that you had with your primary caregivers which is often your parents but if you were raised by someone else say like a grandparent it's going to be that primary caregiver relationship that you have that really shapes your adult relationships now in your life and being able to understand about your attachment style and also about your partner's attachment style really gives you a foundation in terms of looking at how you show up in conflict, right? So what I want to do here for for you guys listening is, first of all, talk about attachment styles, give you an idea of the different attachment styles, if you've never heard them or understand them, this should give you an idea of where you sit with this, and then we'll be able to kind of tap more into like the patterns after this. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to attachment styles, right? This is how you show up in relationship with your partner based on your primal need to connect and belong. And this started with your relationships with your primary caregivers. Okay. This, and we've said this before, we'll say it again. So much of this originates from your, from your childhood, right? And the bond that you had with your primary caregiver. So these initial bonds that you experienced these in a sense created like the rules or the templates for how you have relationships now as an adult, right? So how your primary caregiver acted towards you 
and how they did or did not meet your needs formed this foundation. And it, it, it in a sense, is how you then show up and have relationships with the adults in your life now and also with your children. So this is where it's really interesting, <laughs> right? Like it's like cycles. We just mm-hmm. cycles and patterns. Um, and so here's the key piece here, because if you were one of the lucky small percentage of people who experienced attunement, right? So if you felt safe, secure, seen, and soothed, 80% of the time growing up, you will have formed a secure attachment. Secure attachment is the goal, okay? However, the majority of us, and this is not to villainize our parents, I think, again, I've said this time and time again, like they did the best that they could, but for the majority of us and for our parents and probably their parents before them, we did not receive this 80% of the time. And so we, we in a sense, experienced misattunement. So less than 80% of the time, we experienced this secure attachment. And this created an insecure attachment within us, which then had us start to recreate these patterns of these attachment styles now in our lives. Because mm-hmm. we learned this is how we attach to someone. Right, right. And so when you think about this, and this is great as a parent as well, right? Like, because I think sometimes you can think, oh my God, I'm messing up my kid. I'm not doing this 100% of the time. Well, 100% of the time is not the goal. If you can be doing it 80, if you can be able to, you know, if you're a parent listening, this is just something to think about. And it's helped me feel a bit off the hook some of those bad days, if you can be soothing your children 80% of the time, if you can be seeing them, you know, for who they are and hearing them, you know, 80% of the time, if you can be helping them feel secure and feel safe 80% of the time, they're going to form a secure attachment. Mm -hmm. And I think we're going to probably do a whole episode on that in terms of like childhood and attachment and how, what does that actually look like? Well, how do you create safety and see them? Yes. Right. Yes. And so I'm going to go into the different attachment styles, but I want, I want to start with secure, right? Because this is really for me showing up in the relationship that I'm showing up with now, like this is really based on a lot of the healing work that I've been doing. This is a goal for me, like, and it's really hard to show up in this way when you have these patterns that are so different than that. But the idea here is that when we have a secure attachment with our partner, we feel safe, we feel soothed. So think about it as the four S's. This is something to remind yourself of. So you feel safe, you feel soothed, you feel secure, you feel seen. And as well, your partner feels the same way, safe, soothed, secure, seen, 80% of the time, we can't be perfect. What it means to feel safe? Well, this is, do you feel emotionally safe, not just physically safe, right? Soothed, are you supported? Do you feel held? Do you feel loved? Seen, do you feel, do you feel heard, listened to? And the really important piece here is validated. Validation is like such an important way to help someone feel seen or to feel seen ourselves. And secure is, you know, does your partner and does your energy, behavior, and words all line up? Mm-hmm. So those are, those are some different ways to be able to see, okay, or be able to start 
to, you know, look at your relationship, where do you think some of those pieces land for yourself? You could be starting to ask yourself that. Now, in terms of the different attachment styles, I'm going to, I'm going to help you get an idea of where you land on some of these and, and we'll see. Oh boy. How this feels. So one of the attachment styles is anxious. Another is avoidant or dismissive. And a third is disorganized. Okay. So somebody who has an anxious attachment style, often there is a deep fear of abandonment here. To ease this deep fear of abandonment, you, or if you're thinking about your partner, they will strongly desire security and attention and care. And the the remedy for this is to, you know, become very quote unquote clingy. Clingy is often a word associated with anxious attachment style. Um, or you have a preoccupation with your relationship and with that person. There's like an over-investment in that person, in their behavior, in their needs, in their emotions, so mm -hmm. much so that you exit out of your experience all the time. Um, and there is sort of this anxious feeling of losing this. Mm -hmm. And often somebody with an anxious attachment style will have grown up with a parent or both parents who were not consistent in the attunement. So it might've been there. It might not have been there. Um, and it was sort of this back and forth with both parents or with one primary caregiver. For avoidant, so somebody who has an avoidant or dismissive style, this is often someone who prefers a high sense of independence and self-sufficiency. Um, in quotations, they don't need to be in a relationship to be complete, or they don't need a relationship at all. <laughs> um, they do not want to depend on others or seek support. There is often an avoidance of intimacy or emotional closeness. And they will withdraw or tend to hide or suppress their feelings. Mm -hmm. Now, with an avoidant attachment style, this is like a deep, deep fear of intimacy. It's not abandonment. It's a deep, deep fear of like, if I, yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And this is often based on a primary caregiver um, or both primary caregivers uh, being neglected by them or there was just like a, a high level of neglect where that's where a lot of this independence and self-sufficiency had to really be born mm -hmm. and then we have disorganized style and and it can be easy to find yourself in dis or, or to think that maybe you are disorganized but one of the key pieces here is there's often a, uh, an extreme fluctuation between both sides. It's not like, oh, I'm feeling this way or I'm feeling this way. It's like it's it's like extreme experiences on either side and, and a really high, high level of poor self-regulation of emotions. So with disorganized style, you or the person can go back and forth between both, um, both extremes. Uh, there can be really confusing behaviors in a relationship, like, uh, and and often um, unexpected or unpredictable. Uh, relationships or partners are a source of both desire, deep desire and fear. So notice the extremes there. And somebody who has a disorganized style really deeply craves intimacy and closeness. 
but has really extreme challenges with trusting and depending on others. So there is often an intense fear of getting hurt, as well as a very deep desire of that intimacy. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like a, a, a lot of inconsistency there. Sounds very disorganized. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a that's a great um, thorough review of those. If in case anyone has never heard of them, I think Christine has also read this book. I'm going to show it on the screen, but attached um, yes. by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Everyone falls into one of those buckets if you're secure, like you've won the lottery. Um, but also, yeah. I think it's important to to note that you can learn a new attachment style. Number one, we often, well, we do, we do a dance of energy with within relationship. And so you might feel like you're, say, more, more of an anxious attachment style. But then if you get into a relationship with somebody who is more anxious, you might find that you actually veer to more of the avoidant mm-hmm. um, because it's always like a dance of energy. And it's, yeah. we find balance in all of it. And then Um, Or you might find that you're more anxious, but you get into a relationship with someone who's more secure. You might find that you actually rise more to that secure place. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not set in stone. And the other piece here too is you probably will have different attachment styles depending on female or male relationships, Mm -hmm. right? So -hmm. this is also something where you can get curious is like looking at your female relationships or your male relationships, depending on how you identify and um, the gender that you are attracted to. Absolutely. And I think predominantly anxious attachment and avoidant attachments magnetize to each other because there's that Mm. polarity there. And so again, if you're like, yeah, well, my husband's like super dismissive and I'm like, oh my God, we got to talk this out. Ah," And you're freaking out until you find resolve. You also need to really understand that because what each of those attachment styles need is the opposite of what you want to give, right? So an avoidant does not want to be clung to. That means like their window of tolerance is completely closed and they need to remove themselves, take a deep breath, come back down to baseline. Whereas an anxious person will typically chase them around the house. I want answers now. We're fighting this out now. And they'll keep running through their verbal list of all the, the reasons, which pushes the avoidant even farther and then vice versa the avoidant feels completely abandoned um sorry the anxious feels completely abandoned by the person who's avoidant who is now retreating maybe into another room maybe they have to go for a car drive if they don't tell them hey i'm coming back i just need Mm. a moment so it's just it's so important for you if you don't know your attachment style to figure it out and also to know that of your partners, at least which one you tend to gravitate most to so that you can understand sort of those underlying things that are at play when you come into conflict. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, what can really help is imagining your partner as this little child because that is what's showing up. I know that sounds weird, but like that is what's showing up when our attachment styles come out is these deep, young parts of us that are still experiencing that wounding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, if you can practice that, it can really help in those moments of conflict where, yeah, like maybe you do just want to slam the door on your partner, run away or, you know, scream after them. But when you can see that what's going on on a deeper level is this little part of them. That's like, this is a protective mechanism that's showing up to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. It can really help with that compassion and empathy. 
It's it's so interesting. Alexander Milov, he created a sculpture at Burning Man, I think last year, where it shows, we'll show it on the screen, but mm. anyone can look it up. Mm. It's basically two adult bodies with these little children bodies inside, meaning like your inner child and the inner children are glowing and they're touching hand to hand, meaning like we're obviously all adults, but that little inner child piece, we have to like understand who that is for our partner and who that is for us, right? Because exactly what Christina said, that is who comes online when we're triggered, when we're in conflict. And really when we're fighting and navigating conflict with our partner, it's never about the thing. It's never about the dishes or what, it's about the underlying feelings of respect, of trust, of are you gonna be here for me? Are you abandoning me? I feel threatened, right? It's all of those bigger pieces. It's never the surface level thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that really segues well into and sort of complements the attachment style piece, which is once you figure out your attachment style piece, then you really need to understand your patterns around conflict with your partner. And so like, how do you fight? How do you react? What are your patterns? Do you storm away? Do you belittle verbally? Do you shut down and go into freeze mode? What do your fights look like? Are they every Friday night after a long week of work? Is it the same pattern that always pops up when you're overwhelmed, maybe after putting the kids to bed and it takes two hours and then you're right at your husband or wife because you're resentful that they're sitting on the couch? Like, what are the patterns that are coming up? Because when you can dissect those, you can see pretty clearly there's probably a couple commonalities and then that's what you really need to dig into and, and work at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Being able to become your own pattern reader and understand mm -hmm. because this stuff, it, this is what happens. We work in patterns and the reason why we work in patterns is because there is familiarity there. There is certainty there and it feels safe. It's like doing what we've always done. We do it because there's certainty there and it, and it's safe. And so if you're wanting to change something in your relationship, being able to reflect on and look at your patterns is the key that unlocks that. Absolutely. Right. Like really, really think about if you're like, oh, we're, we're always fighting about the same thing, or we always fight after the same time or in the same environment. What are those patterns? Is it the environment? Is it who you're around? How does it play out? When does it play out? Really looking at that because until you understand all these pieces at play, whether that's attachment styles and your patterning, you're kind of going into it blind. When you can begin to kind of see everything from an aerial view, it just gives you more understanding and almost sort of really de-escalates it. Cause you're like, oh, here we go again. Like, why is this coming up again? Like, what is there still left to resolve here that we didn't get at the first time? Like we haven't gotten to the root of whatever's going on here, right? Mm -hmm. And that's why it's still reappearing because it wants to be resolved. It wants to be healed. Yeah. Well, I went to a somatic therapy session yesterday with my therapist. Shout out to Carrie. She's amazing. Um, I don't think she listens, but she's amazing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I experienced for anyone who is connected with me on social media. I talked a lot earlier this week. The full moon was really intense. There was so much coming up for me. And I think rightfully so. I'm really working through trying to change these patterns within myself. And also, you know, I think being in a conscious relationship with Colin, 
it's beautiful because we can really talk so much of this stuff out, but man, does it feel intense sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, this piece came up earlier this week and it really forced me to look at myself and how I show up in relationship and, and how uncomfortable, you know, I guess in a nutshell, what I can now see upon reflecting in my session yesterday with my therapist was that I wasn't getting my needs met with Colin and I massively shut down and I like Mm -hmm. put this huge wall up to the point where like, I wasn't even wanting to talk and which is hard because, you know, we have distance between us. He's out in North van and we both have very lots going on in our lives. He's got kids. I've got kids like, So I can't just like shut down like that and like go radio silent, right? And I can now see that when I reflected back on it, this is a pattern for me of like, there there becomes this moment where I really need support and I'm looking for it, but I'm not communicating that effectively. And I'm expecting him to just understand when like he also has things going on. And then when I don't receive it in the right way, it's almost like a bit of like rejection that maybe I experience, and I just shut down and it's like, you do not get access to me at all, Mm. which isn't helpful (laughs) because like, number one, he didn't really know what was going on. And I hadn't like been super transparent about that, but it was interesting because yesterday we sat and we really talked about it and I was really able to get a lot of clarity in my therapy session, which this is why we need to do this work (laughs) because we can have this self-awareness. And I really communicated to him some of these pieces because growing up and with the sexual abuse that I experienced, and I think being in relationships with men who couldn't hold these things, I have formed a huge wound with this. And, you know, I, I really communicated this to him And it was interesting because he could hold it. And not only was he like, you know, we talked about how this was really hard for me and how like it, it, I have like a really, really big fear of like rejection and not, not being able to be seen and held, but also that it's like, I won't even open to it sometimes. So there's that like disorganized style showing up (laughs) really intensely sometimes. Yeah. Wow. But he was also able to take accountability and be like, yeah, but I, I should have been more in tune with -hmm. what you needed. And we'll get into that in terms of like the roadmap piece of like how to plan better. But it was the first time I think that I've ever experienced. Yeah. Just like that full accountability piece. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but it's hard. Like it's, it's really hard having those conversations, you know, and yeah. I want to dig a little bit deeper here because your, your story is something I have heard countless times from, from women specifically where, you know, their partner isn't giving them what they need, whether that's attention, time, help, support, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then they shut it down. Wall Mm -hmm. goes up 
I'm done with him. All of a sudden he or she is, is the worst. They can't understand me. Why am I trying? Like we get into like doomsday thinking and planning. Like I've had a couple of girlfriends like grab my stuff. I'm like, you can't keep packing your toothbrush every time we get into conflict. Why do you think that is? Because where I'm going with this is, do you think that you've kind of noted in your therapy session that you, in terms of the self-reflection piece, didn't do the best job actually communicating your needs. You expected that to be known. And do you think that this results from sort of a thousand little cuts where Mm. it happened so many little times, like obviously you and Colin are still new. And so I'm making generalities here, but you know, maybe it's like, oh, this week you didn't give me what I need. And then, and then it's like, now you're at the point where the wall's up. Meanwhile, they didn't even know that those thousand little paper cuts happened before because we never said anything. Yeah. Okay. So there's quite a few things that came through there. Number one, I think that it, it's both. I think it's both my, that I need to learn how to communicate better and that he needs to learn how to tune in better. Like, I think that's where in a conscious relationship, there's two parties involved that have to show up and do work. A thousand percent. Um, Something though, that we really uncovered in the session yesterday was that there are these two parts that show up within me. There's this one very young vulnerable part that that just wants to be held and seen and um you know there was even the wording that came through of like needing attention which felt super shadowy for me and I even said to Carrie like ugh and she's (laughs) like okay like that's we got to pay attention to that because there so there's this really vulnerable young part of me that I don't think got that when she really needed it. And then there's this other protector part of me that comes up that's like, nope, we are not accepting or even looking for help and support because we didn't get it when we needed it. And that's that protector that comes out that shuts down. And so it's like, I guess to bring it back to this piece of what do you think going on there? I think this is where, well, number one parts work is so important, but And I can't speak for everybody listening, but for me, what shows up is even just the glimpse of that young vulnerable part comes out. That's like, ah, we need help here. We need attention. And, and it's, it's almost like, as soon as we feel like that's not going to happen, this protector comes in and shuts everything down. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get, I'm packing my bag. I'm done in this relationship. This isn't going to happen anymore because there is this potential for rejection that we have felt over and over and over and over. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to shut it down before that fully happens again. Absolutely. No, it's, yeah, it's it's just really interesting because I think, you know, one of the remedies to that, and maybe we'll talk in the, in the, in the roadmap piece is just about when you have needs voicing them Mm -hmm. because, you know, saying, Hey, I really need your support today because I'm overwhelmed and like the house is a mess is a little bit easier than I feel like you're never helping me. You're not supporting me. It's been weeks of this, right? Like that's where we're just like the switch has flipped at that point. And so, yeah, absolutely does our partner need to be accountable absolutely i'm just saying a lot of women especially go through and i'm talking about just the self-responsibility piece where it's almost like a hundred percent the partner should be reading into everything what i'm saying is that you can see from this example 
it was both sides where you also admittingly said, yeah, I need to be more vocal, but that's a shadow piece in you that doesn't want to admit that I need help. I need support. I need attention. Right. And so I think for anyone listening who finds themselves packing their bag a lot or whatever, if you're caught in that cycle, it's probably because you're not voicing the things that you need and creating boundaries and expectations with that partner that you're in relationship with. Yeah. And and I want to add to that, too. And this brings us back to the creating a secure attachment. You don't create that in your relationship if you're not also creating it within yourself. So part of my homework in this case, I mean, my therapist didn't give me homework, but for me, something to be thinking about now is this isn't just about Colin showing up in a certain way. He's human. He can only do that you know, ideally 80% of the time, if we're in this, if we've really got that secure piece going, but this is actually about regardless of what happens, I show up for myself. And so let's say he can't, which he won't always be able to, that's where I have to continue to still show up for myself of like, if we do feel that rejection, if we do feel that disappointment, it's about not letting that protector take over and shut everything down. It's about staying open and being that person for myself as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. And that's a really so hard good. part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because because you're just like you said, we do really project so much onto our partner. Yes, we can have expectations of them. And it's important to have them show up in a certain way, but they can't be perfect. And yeah. they're not going to be able to 100% of the time. Yeah. And you know, I mean, leading into maybe my example, but I'm going to start bigger and then I'll give you a micro one as well, just to kind of mix things up for everyone listening. But, you know, Tori and I, like we went through a really big rock bottom in 2021 and we've completely like turned our marriage and our relationship on its head. Like we have a very different marriage now than what we did before. And the biggest lesson I've learned along my journey and the thing I get asked about all the time, like, how did you do it? Like, how did you heal, especially from a place where we were at, which had lots of conflict, but even like outside of like the incident that happened, we were always bickering about things where I was completely silent and shut down. And I felt like he could never meet my needs. It is about the partner, like both people, again, like we started this episode, have to be doing willing to do the work. And there are times where you are mismatched, like that person is toxic or that person is never going to change. And I am not, you know, undermining that at all. But when it's two people who really do want to grow their relationship, they want to navigate like conflict appropriately. Do not everyone focuses on the partner and what they need to do and how they need to change and how they need to vocalize this or put in boundaries like this. If you can just do that for yourself and only you, if your partner is actually willing to come to the table, they will. They will do all their work on their own. You don't have to do that. But what ends up happening is we typically only focus on the other person in the relationship and we don't do it with ourselves. And I was so guilty of that for almost a decade. And I'm not saying Tori didn't have shortfalls or areas he needed to like grow up and and change in in terms of our marriage and and being a, a parent. Absolutely. But like just another example, because I caught myself literally the other night doing it. And this is micro, but this can be macro as well. Mm-hmm. So we had like these pillowcases and we went on a road trip recently and I must have like let the kids use my pillow. They're expensive pillowcases. And there's some green marker on one of the pillowcases and stuff like that absolutely triggers Tori. Like nice things that get damaged, she can't handle it. For me, I'm just kind of like, yeah, like is what it is. Like, do I want to keep my stuff nice? Yeah, but 
I feel like I'm on top of the kids already a lot. You know, it's hard. It's like, that's life. That's life with a four and a seven year old. And, and he's come a long way in that. <laughs> the other night he's like, yeah, well, maybe if the kids didn't like, you know, weren't playing with the pillows. And I was like, <laughs> I was triggered. <laughs> so I instantly went into like calmly, like in a respectful way, explaining my perspective on it, that unfortunately some things are going to get damaged and these pillowcases won't be the last thing. There will be more things to come and I'm going to live my life in a non-stressed way when I can. This is not something I'm going to get stressed over, right? I do as much as I can to protect our nice things, but it is what it is. Literally 10 minutes later, like we had resolved it. It was a very like minor disagreement. 10 minutes later, I noticed that he left his plate on the coffee table in the living room. And I was like... I like all the surfaces to be clean, right? That's like my thing. It's like a control base. And I went to open my mouth and like, are you going to grab the, and then I was like, he could literally turn around and say exactly what I just said. Well, like, Tess, it's life. Like, I'm going to, you know, just relax a bit. I'm not going to worry about the one little plate. I'll get it tomorrow. Mm. Right. But so in that moment, I, I was like, I closed my mouth and I was like, nope he will come back to that. Like, obviously, if he's leaving a mess for multiple days at a time, yeah, am I going to have a talk with him? Absolutely. But in that moment, you can see how quickly I wanted to project my needs onto him. But I wanted him to be accepting of mine, right? Like in, in the first example. And so this is just a micro example of how it works, right? It's a two way street. And I had to be like, okay, if that's my prerogative to like live life, relax, not be stressed about every little thing, why am I having that expectation on him? Clean up after yourself at every single moment. And whereas he could be like, protect all of our stuff at every single moment. Don't ever give anything to the kids that's like of value, etc. And so it's just like, it's so interesting when you begin to dig into your own patterns and all of that, because you can actually stop yourself from having some conflict that you probably didn't need to have in the first place. Mm. And I think also like understanding your triggers, because clearly you guys, both of your triggers are coming out in that case, like something to do with like nice possessions or something for Tori or like taking care oh, of for sure. And for you, like you said, you recognize you love clean services. It's a control thing. Yeah. You can recognize these pieces. And I think that is the first piece to shifting or, you know, when it comes to understanding our patterns, looking at your triggers is such an important piece as well. Because triggers are our patterns, really. I mean, it's never about the dish. It's about the fact that the space isn't clean and that gives me some anxiety, right? Like it's about the deeper trigger piece. So again, yeah, yeah, 100%. Knowing your patterns, but also I think that micro example shows what the work can do because in the past I would have went right to like, what the heck? Why is this plate here? You're so lazy, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm. So I would be verbally like disrespecting him. I wouldn't have given myself a moment to regulate. And I think that actually segues well into like, how do we do conflict resolution where maybe you can have that moment like I did or that reprieve where you're like, <gasps> okay, nope, I'm not going to continue down like Mm. the negative yelling cycle or the nagging cycle like we would have. What am I going to do instead? Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a big piece because I mean, I have a long ways to go, but in terms of this roadmap to healthy conflict resolution, like I think one thing to be thinking about is we're not going to be perfect at this. This is just, you know, when Tess and I are kind of setting setting this up and giving you some of these different pieces. These are things that we are practicing, but no one is perfect at this stuff, right? Like (laughs) far from it. 
<laughs> and I will say when we get to the nervous system regulation piece, that's when I still struggle with all the time of like being able to take that breath or step back. Oof, that's like such a hard piece. So mm-hmm. let's kind of look at this. So when it comes to being able to resolve conflict, here are some of the things that Tess and I find are working for us. Mm-hmm. Tess, you want to go first with the first sure. piece? Yeah. So we've mentioned it throughout the episode, but self-responsibility and self-accountability are Mm -hmm. honestly, I think sort of like the epicenter of conflict resolution because you almost don't even deserve to sit across a table and talk about your partner and their shortcomings and the things they're not doing if you have not reflected on yourself first. And I've said this multiple times on other topics, even about going to couples counseling if you think you're going to resolve the issues between the two of you and you haven't resolved the issues within yourself or become aware of them, good luck. And so I think if you can't look inward first, you almost can't look outward yet. Right. And so I think a journey of starting with looking at your attachment styles, what are your patterns? What are your triggers? How do you fight? What can you take responsibility for? Are you demeaning? Do you let your partner speak? Are you actively listening? All of those things. If you can do some of that, I guarantee you your partner is going to be more receptive, one, to what you say, and two, they're going to be more empathetic to also your position, which still has a seat at the table. What I'm saying here is that if we always just think it's all our partner and none of it is us, partnerships are two ways right it's an energetic exchange no matter what way you slice and dice it and you are contributing to that in some way Mm -hmm. and that's probably a hard for people to hear but it's the truth oh 100 and i would say too like when we think about the different attachment styles and the energies behind them there's probably going to have to be some shift in energy here of like if you are anxiously attached it's about kind of backing up creating more space between you and doing going inwards. And if you are more avoidantly attached, it's about kind of moving towards or, you know, and, and I think being aware of number one, how you're showing up, how your partner shows up and seeing how you guys can shift that energy together. Yeah. Like understanding them, like there's nothing shameful about knowing like, what, what does my partner need in those moments where we fight like this? What can I change? How can I contribute a bit more to pushing us along further? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, if they're avoidant, should I be chasing them? Probably not. Does that feel uncomfortable for me? Yes. Could you also voice, Hey, when we fight, I'm happy to give you space, but I need you to Mm -hmm. say to me, I'm going to be right back. I need five minutes just to cool down. I love you. And I'll be right back. And trust Mm -hmm. me as the avoidant, it's very hard to say that when you are, you know, at at the top of anger spewing out of your mouth. But I still do it reluctantly. It sounds more like I will be right back. Yeah. <laughs> I need a minute. But I still gritting, say it. Because those impo- teeth. Yeah, because that is me being responsible, like showing some self-responsibility and accountability in the relationship. I don't want to cause undue stress or undue harm to my partner. And I know if I say this, that gives them some level of security and support during this uncomfortable moment. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it's creating that safety, right? Of like helping them feel safe, especially if it's somebody who is anxiously attached. If they have a massive fear of abandonment, leaving is going to be re- like opening that wound 100 percent. yeah um okay so the second piece here would be 
making sure you are in some way regulating your nervous system. And this isn't even just in the moment, it's being proactive about this. And I will say that this is one thing that I noticed big time when it actually came to my relationship with the kids. I noticed and and I have noticed that I have been able to see a massive shift in what I can handle and um, being able to just move through some of these really triggering situations with the kids through proactively regulating my nervous system. And I've been able to do this through my somatic therapy. I've been able to do this through getting on medication. I've been able to do this through um, taking a look at what I'm eating and how I'm supporting my body. Like there's so many different ways that we can be regulating our nervous system. So I would say not just proactively as well, but then in the moment, what are the things that you need to do to bring yourself back to baseline so that then you can actually in a healthy way, resolve the conflict. Um, mm-hmm. And so Tess, you know, you told me even just in the example the other day that you used with Turner, right. It's like doing that. I think it was like the box, box breathing or something with him <laughs> where not only was it helpful for you though, but then you're also teaching him how to do that. Yeah. Right? There's moments now where I'll be like, Turner, do you need to take a breath? And he'll be like, <sighs> fine (laughs) like he's still mad but it does help right yeah 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 I think too and and also uh we were chatting before recording just about also noticing when your partner or kids whoever it is that you're in relationship with is dysregulated and if you are trying especially if you're anxious attachment and you're trying to find resolve it is like and I say this a lot about reasoning with children when they're dysregulated it's like reasoning with a drunk person They do not have access to their logical brain in that moment when emotions are heightened. I see sometimes Tori do this where he wants to teach them the lesson or get into the logical reason as to like how not to do that next time. Like, oh, they fell off something. He told them not rock the chair back and forth and they fell and hurt themselves. That's not the moment to enforce like the teaching or finding resolve. That's the moment to validate, to understand and just to listen. It will come. The resolve part, the discussion will come. But if someone is dysregulated, you know, and especially in partnership, if you notice like they're avoided, they're literally running out of the room away from you, it is not the time. You need to give them the space. You cannot, you will push them past dysregulation where they will go into full shutdown. And so it's really important not only to learn how to regulate your own nervous system through the different somatic practices, deep breathing, whatever works, floats your boat, giving yourself time and space during the day, but also to recognize when someone else is not in the space to actually have a conversation. It will go nowhere. There will be name calling, it will escalate, and you will end up in a worse position than you already are if you would have just allowed that time and space for them to come down to baseline. Yeah, a hundred percent. And, you know, and it's got me remembering, I think it was even just a couple of weeks ago when Colin and I were having a conversation and he said something that was very triggering for me. And I felt myself number one, like my adrenal shot up. And mm-hmm. then as he wanted to keep talking about it, I felt myself totally shutting down. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I would not have been able to do this, but I said, you have to give me a few minutes I just need to bring myself back. And Mm -hmm. I sat there and I just breathed and got to a place where I could get back to some logical thinking and not just be like, it it was like my mind was like cycling so fast on these. And I was like, no, no, no. And I came back into my body 
and I did those breaths and I was able to like open my eyes. And he actually even said to me, like, it's okay. Just take, take, Mm. take a minute, do what you need to do. And yeah. So it just made me think of that, how, like how important it is when sometimes we can get into that, those moments and just feel like we have to keep going and like, and nothing gets solved in that Yeah, because our nervous system is just so dysregulated and it's, it's in survival. I think it's important that you noted that because sometimes we can be having this internal dysregulation, but it's not outwardly shown yet and the person doesn't understand. I think that's really important for listeners to know, but also like if you're enraged or you're heightened in terms of your emotions and someone is trying to problem solve with you and find resolve, what that actually communicates is you're not even listening to my body cues, to my energy. And it's, it's more infuriating. So I think that's great. Like, so if your partner isn't, seeing it or tuning into it, you have to vocally say that you have to say, cause or else you will go over to a different tipping point. Right. And it's really hard to bring them back. And, you know, a lot of that can look like, again, going back to that piece about when someone's dysregulated, what does that validation look like, which is really creating the foundation of safety and security before we get into the conflict resolution piece. But a lot of people mm. want to skip past it yeah. is validating and validating doesn't mean hey, you're absolutely right. Like you can still be really pissed off and really be cemented in the fact like what you did was wrong and it hurt me or whatever. But if that person is emotionally dysregulated, they just need to be validated for how they're feeling, not that they're right. And so this is exactly like with kids. Like let's say they draw on the wall and you get mad at them and then they cry and they're, you know, hyperventilating. It's like, hey, I understand that you're embarrassed right now. I know that you're upset. Really just acknowledging what they're feeling or hey, I realize how I spoke to you is upsetting. You're not problem solving. You're not saying they're right or you're right. You're just validating the situation. Here's mm. what it is. Here's how you're feeling. Here's how I'm feeling. Da, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. That but, is what and, that means. And I would say too, for kids, that's so important because sometimes they don't have the self-awareness to even know what's going on for them. So being able to validate what you are noticing with them helps them build that self-awareness with Max. Sometimes he's so dysregulated and I'm like, Hey, even though I'm like enraged that he's jumping all over the couch. Hey dude, I can see your body probably feels out of control right now. Mm -hmm. And I've actually noticed that now he'll say, mom, my body's just out of control. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, like we can work with this. And you're not shaming them. You're just saying what I'm noticing. But yeah, so like I loved, I love that you just noted that validation piece. And it reminds me too of in a conversation I was having with Colin the other day where he was like, yeah, I can imagine that probably feels really hard. And at first I was like, oh, that's so annoying. And then I was like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, it like naturally just diffused it, right? When you validate and you're pissed off at someone and they validate how you're feeling, it instantaneously diffuses it. And it can be very triggering for people typically in their patterns are like ready to fight. It's like arguing with someone that just keeps their tone just level. Why are you not giving me back the energy right now? Because you can't fight with that. So that's a, but that takes a lot of self-control, right? It takes a lot of regulation as well. So yeah, that, that's, that's a really good trick as well to mention there for sure. Okay. So nervous system regulation. So the next piece would be repair and open dialogue. This is a really, really important piece. Repair. We, we talked about it earlier in the episode. Power of repair is so important and it has the ability to, 
you know, and, and I, I've heard you say this lot, something that you really stand by. It's not actually what happens. It's how the person deals with it thereafter or how they respond to it. This is the power of repair, right? Mm-hmm. Because we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to do things that we aren't proud of. We might say the thing, do the name calling, right? But it's actually in the action we take afterwards. That is the most important piece. And that is what will deepen your intimacy and your relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's funny because even in my in my professional life, I've actually, people used to say, oh, you always like build people up. Like, you know, if, they, like, if you need to give constructive criticism and then you give them the constructive criticism. And now research shows actually people remember how you ended things. <laughs> so they actually say don't do that uh, like sandwich it if you can and make sure you're ending on a positive note and so even in in conflict i've had moments with tori where i am so enraged and in like the conflict part of it i am thinking there is no way we are coming back from this or there is no way i could i can even imagine myself being happy with you in the next 24 to 48 hours like i'm going to be mad at you for like a week at this like whatever it is and then I always find it funny when we get to the repair part, which I'm sure for anyone who's had like a big, you know, conflict, fight, whatever you want to call it, when you get to that like repair piece and you're just like so open and you feel so seen mm. and like there's this deep discussion, you're like, oh, like I feel uh. so much more connected to you than I even did. It's like, I always laugh and I'm like, remember 10 minutes ago, Tess, when you were like, I'm literally never going to look at him again. <laughs> yes. Because yeah. it really, it does, like, you almost got to go through the darkness, like, before you get to, like, that that sweet spot. And that, I think, is, again, back to the beginning, is why conflict is good. Like, again, it has to be done in a respectful, healthy way. We have to get to repair, and we have to be open to the open dialogue and connection after. But, like, I tell you, sometimes that connection piece is worth it because it takes you another level deeper. Oh, yeah, I would say and and also like, it's probably going to be the piece, at least for me, it has been that feels the most unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing to just like go into shutdown mode that feels familiar. It's another to go into like fight mode that feels familiar. But to resolve the conflict, number one, didn't see that growing up. Uh, number two, it, it for me too, there's like this piece around like there's vulnerability there, maybe a, a loss of power or control. So that might be the hardest piece for a lot of people. And just, I think, recognizing that, that might be where you have to put a lot of, a lot more attention and focus. Mm -hmm. I think for so many people though, like fighting, arguing, conflict, it's always about who's winning, Mm. right? And I think if you grew up in a volatile household or where you didn't see repair, you always assume like, well, there's a winner. And so sometimes coming together in that repair piece almost feels like you're waving the white flag, you're putting down the armor. And I think that's why it feels uncomfortable for a lot of people. Scary. It is. And I think, you know, when Tori and I really turned our relationship upside down, I had to really adopt the mindset, what is best for us? Mm. What is best for our partnership? Not my ego. What is going to push us towards repair? What is going to, and it's not meaning like, oh, I just like don't care. I don't have boundaries or I don't get my point across or I don't need to be heard. It's not that. It's resolving and realizing like, hey, we need to do this for us. Like if you ultimately want your partnership, and maybe that's the first question you should be asking, because if you're constantly in conflict and you don't care enough to get to repair, do you really want to be in it? Because that's what relationship is, right? It's a container for growth. There's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be conflict. 
can you come out of that even better? Like, that's what I go into it. Like, like I get not excited about fighting or conflict, but I'm like, okay, like this is going to give us another level of depth that we're going to get to after the conflict piece that does excite me. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I realize, oh, wow, look what we traversed together and look where we are now. But if you're not getting to that spot, it's not looking good. The outlook's not looking great. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and it'll just keep showing up. Until it gets so uncomfortable that you do have to do something about it. Or you literally stop fighting because you're indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then the last piece here is self-reflection and having a plan. And so this can come in that part where you are resolving whatever that conflict piece is. You know, to give you an example, when Colin and I were talking yesterday about this piece that showed up earlier in the week, part of the plan moving forward is me doing a better job communicating in the moment when I am moving through something and saying, I need help with this or being just very blatant and not expecting him to be able to read my energy when I'm a little bit more (laughs) distant. Um, And then for him, so both of us have a bit of a plan here for him. It's being more present and in tune when he does notice a shift with my energy, right. Mm -hmm. Even in the smallest way and getting curious with me. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is where when it comes to the plan, especially for our anxious attachment people, it can't just be you. It has to be a collective plan between you and the other person in that relationship. And if you're avoidant, you can't just expect your partner to be doing the change. I guess for anyone, for that matter, it's both of you that have to be doing this. I love this part about Colin getting curious. So for any men listening, this is a thing of women. If you're like, hey, is everything okay?" And we're like, yep. Probably ask five more times. Yeah. <laughs> By the fifth time, we'll probably be like, well, <laughs> to be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, how how many times will you ask? How hard will you really try? We should probably stop doing that too, but <laughs> just I a know. word of the wise, right? I love that example though. And and the plan is is so important. I think too, if if you and your partner are having the same fight come up all the time, it probably means like you're not opening up that dialogue enough and really getting honest down to facts. What do I actually need here? Because I think I used to be like, well, why should I have to say anything? Why should I have to explain it? They should just know. But honestly, like another thing I learned, and I love asking women this, it really triggers them. I go, are you enabling that behavior at all? Because I used to be so resentful of Tori. You do nothing around the house. You never help out with the kids. I put them to bed. I bat them. I do it all. It's almost like I liked, you know, being like, I do everything. And then one day I was, what would actually happen if Tori took the reins and did all of that? Would I allow him to do that? Probably Mm. not. Probably not. Does that mean he shouldn't be trying? No. Really ask yourself. So like, you know, especially women, they love to be like, oh, my husband's lazy. He never does the dishwasher. I'm overwhelmed. Well, do you do the dishwasher then? Yeah, you do every day. And you never say anything. So you're enabling. They probably grew up with moms who did it for them. And then you do it. And again, I'm not saying it's right. These men should become adults. Absolutely. I'm just saying, again, we each play a part. And so stop and ask yourself about breaking habits. If there's something happening that's not meeting your needs, but you're enabling it to happen, 
that's your part. That's the part that you're playing there. And that can look in a, like that can, that can open up in a respectful way where you have a conversation and say, Hey, I know for years I've been picking up the slack. I know I haven't really asked you to put the kids to bed and I just do it every night. And that might be really hard for me to step back from, but I need your support. And let's come up with a plan. What can you do? And what can I do? Like, that's what Tori and I have done. We actually had to like assign different parts of the routine to each other Mm -hmm. because then it was very black and white. You're Mm -hmm. doing this and I'm doing that. Is it still hard for me sometimes because I'm like, well, I could do it better. Sure. Uh, Right. Is there times where he forgets? Yeah. But we, we really had to break it down if that makes sense. And I really had to get out of my own way. And I feel like a lot of women enable it because we're like, well, they won't do it as good or, well, they won't really do it. It's like, well, you don't know until you try until you step away from the wheel and like, you know, release the reins a little bit. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I just, I love that piece. Cause it's just, again, such, such a solid reminder that in these relationships, we show up with these wounds, with these attachment styles and we match those of our partners. And so whatever mm-hmm. your partner is bringing up in you, you are bringing up in them. And it's, it, that's not even the most important part. The most important part is being able to just want to do the work together to create the change that you want, right? Which you can do if both partners are willing. So yeah, I think honestly, just to even end that off, because you mentioned it earlier about especially avoidance or disorganized, where like, well, I want you to love me, but then like once you do, or I want you to help, Mm -hmm. I want you to support, but once you do, it's like a relinquishing of control. And I think again, the key there in terms of breaking those habits is healing that wound in you because Mm -hmm. your partner, can do all the things you wanted them to do, but you'll sometimes get in the way of that because them actually meeting your needs or them actually getting close to you and them actually supporting you in the way you want is more vulnerable and more scary than them actually just not showing up, right? 100%. So to bring it all together again, when it comes to conflict resolution, you know, number one, looking at your own self. So with self-regulation and self-responsibility, how are you contributing to this? Secondly, your nervous system regulation, both proactive as well as in the moment. What can you do to support yourself? Third, repair and open dialogue. So the power of personal accountability, being able to say sorry, right? Mm -hmm. And self-reflection and having a plan moving forward. Yeah. There's your roadmap. (laughs) There you go. So we hope that this was able to help all of you. If you want to reach Tess or I, you can contact Tess or social media at her unearthed. And you can contact me, Christina, at my social media at Christina.soulempowered. We, hope you we love you. Day. We <laughs> love you. Bye. Bye-bye.